to the book of Psalms, Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. And we hope to see how these teach us to understand God's providential care over the world. These psalms, by the way, are um, a pair. They kind of belong together. We don't know who wrote them. They're anonymous in the Scriptures. Very, uh, a very good case could be made that they were written by the same author. You'll notice that each is ten verses long, and if you read them carefully, you can see that they're mirror images of one another. Psalm 111 gives praise to God for who He is and what He does. And then Psalm 112 uh, praises the Lord for the man who acts like the God he serves. And almost there's a verse-for-verse verse parallel uh, across the two psalms. So we look at them as a pair, a matching pair. This is the word of the Lord in Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. So far, the two psalms. I invite you to turn with me in the book of praise to page 525, where we'll be dealing with the Word of God concerning the confession of God's providence, and this comes to us as an explanation of the Apostles' Creed, 
which of course itself summarizes the Word of God. And we're dealing with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. And in Lord's Day 9, we already uh, heard about God's providence, that He upholds and governs the world by His eternal counsel and providence. And now in question 27, we ask, what do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them, that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, Indeed, all things come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by His providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will they cannot so much as move. So far our Heidelberg Catechism in response uh, to the preaching of the Word will sing from Psalm 59, the stanzas 1, 4, and 8. Psalm 59, 1, 4, and 8, where we will sing about the this care of our God in troubled days. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of God's providence is, I think, a fairly well-known doctrine among us, and we love it. We love it especially when we need it, when bad things happen, when trouble falls upon it upon us when, when grief or great loss enters our life unexpectedly, as it did for a family in Orangeville this past week, the teaching that nothing comes to us by chance but by God's fatherly hand that helps eventually to quiet our calm, our troubled hearts. It doesn't erase the sorrow, nor is it meant to. But it is a comfort that the thing that struck our lives wasn't a blind act of fate or luck. It wasn't an independent Satan doing damage when God wasn't looking. No. The tragedy that took place took place under the watchful eye of our Heavenly Father. It took place according to His plan and with the intention that somehow, in some way, it will bring us good and bring Him glory. However hard it is, the thing that can happen in our lives, however 
difficult and it can be brutal. We, we shouldn't minimize the pain, the comfort of the doctrine of providence is that there's purpose in the pain. There is something that will come from it that will be of benefit in some way. And it, it is true because our Almighty God is the governor of every molecule of this world. That's what providence means. He, he upholds the world literally in the palm of His hands. So that's a particular blessing of providence that we're quite familiar with, I think. But this afternoon we want to ask, is that the only blessing in this doctrine? We tend to reach for providence when the bottom falls out of our life, and that's good and necessary. But what about when life is just humming along pretty well? What about when we're not in a particular crisis? Does God's providence have meaning? Does it have a word for us only in troubled days? Or is there something here for us in the ordinary days as well? Well, Lord's Day 10, together with Psalms 111 and 112, they teach us to look for God's care in everything. Big and small, difficult and easy, so that we can learn to walk hand in hand with our God in good days and in bad. And so I bring to you this word of the Lord, walk closely with your almighty God in good days and bad. Walk closely with your almighty God in good days and bad. To do that, we need to do two things, take delight in God and take courage in God. Well, Lord's Day 10 starts us off with a basic definition of providence. It says, and we confess that it is a power, the power of God at work in this world, a power which does two humongous things. God's power upholds the universe and all creatures in the universe. Just that alone is humongous and incredible to think about. But more, the second thing God's power does is it, it governs the universe and all creatures in it. So God is not watching us from a distance, hands off. There are not random powers like fate or luck or karma running around, striking us here or there unpredictably without rhyme or reason. No. The Bible teaches that the one who created all things, the Almighty God, He not only has created things, but He created them out of nothing, but He actively maintains all things and He actively oversees and rules all things. Just think about this for a moment. I'll try to use an analogy. It's an imperfect one, but let's see if we can make some sense out of it. Imagine for a moment a, a craftsman in his wood shop, and imagine a, this craftsman has special powers. We'll call them superpowers. His superpowers include just speaking a command 
for something to appear and it would literally appear and be useful. Six pieces of planed oak, says the craftsman, and he gives the dimensions for the wood that he wants, and they appear. And then the craftsman goes to work in his wood shop to form something out of those pieces of wood. Let's say he eventually makes a, a coffee table. So he works hard to cut and trim and shape and glue and fasten all the various pieces of oak together into an elegant, solid, useful coffee table. And, and you walk into the shop, or maybe it's in a, a show area, and you see it, and you, you, you see it with great appreciation for all the care and the work that went into it. You can tell that the craftsman has wonderful skill and unheard of ability. He called the wood into existence, which means, of course, that he can also call the wood out of existence. So the coffee table that you're looking at, it only continues to exist because the craftsman wants it to exist. Second by second, he upholds, he, he, he literally keeps that coffee table from disappearing. He upholds it. If he could truly create out of nothing, then he can uncreate, this craftsman can. So you realize as you marvel at this table that the bigger marvel is the craftsman who desires his wonderful work to stay around, to be wondered at, and to serve a purpose. Well, brothers and sisters, this is the kind of thing we are meant to do by looking around at all of God's wonderful works, all of the, the master craftsman's wonderful works, to see what, what God does every day, to take in that the Lord is active in every moment, in every single thing around us. And when we do that, it's meant to turn our eyes heavenward and, and break out in praise, Father, You are amazing. You are marvelous beyond what words can say, beyond even what my thoughts can think. That these benches exist that these humans exist, that this brickwork doesn't fall down, that there is trees and land and everything all around us, that it continues to exist and serve a purpose, that's only because God wants it to. Observing God's providential care, His active government of the world is designed to draw us to our Creator and make us delight in Him. This is what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 111 and 112 too. Maybe you'd like to follow along in those two psalms as we deal with them for a few moments. Psalm 111 in particular, the whole psalm breathes of this man, the poet, finding joy and delight in the Lord his God. Verse 1, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. And what is stirring up this man's delight? Well, he tells us in verse 2, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. The works of the Lord 
are great, he says. The works of this ultimate craftsman. His spectacular coffee tables and cabinets and clocks and cradles, so to speak. In other words, the stunning works all throughout creation. We might think of many things. Let me mention a few. The awe-inspiring Rocky Mountains or the vastness of the Pacific Ocean, the big sky country of the prairies and its extravagant sunsets. The, the, the spectacular views you can have along the Bruce Trail or the incredible view looking out over the Gulf of Mexico when you're, you're down in Florida, the dazzling and intricate creatures that roam the forests and swim in the seas, when you see the tiny colony of ants or, or bees led by the queen all organized and in order and accomplishing an incredible amount of work for these little, little creatures, when we see all these things, and think about how they got there and who put them there and how they keep going, we have to just stop, don't we? We have to express our marvel at the Creator, the Master Craftsman. We have to express our thanks. For it's true, as, the Lord, as Lord's Day 10 puts it, all creatures are so completely in the Lord's hand that without His will they cannot so much as move. All those animals are doing their thing because the Lord oversees them and moves them by His will. The psalmist in 111 is just warming up. His heart is about to burst with all the praise he's got. He mentions God's works four times in this psalm. And every time he spots another work, he bursts out with greater delight. Verse 3, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. As he sees more and more of God's handiwork around him, including the upkeep of all of life, it testifies to the poet that God is magnificent and that just raises up more praise to God. And then the psalmist starts to praise him for God's righteousness too. Why his righteousness? Well, the poet knows it's only by God's promise to us, us humans, that all the world keeps going. God's righteousness means that he, he does what is right. He keeps his standards. He upholds his commitments. And God made a commitment to us back when Adam fell into sin and brought corruption, not just into himself, but into all of creation. And all of creation on that day, remember, it, des it started to die. It started to, to fizzle. Death had entered into God's good creation. But the Lord made a promise to Adam that day to save the universe by paying for man's sin. In other words, brothers and sisters, the world... And everything in it, all creatures, it continues to exist only because God in His Son, Jesus Christ, is redeeming the universe. The world keeps turning. The seasons keep changing. Humanity stays alive despite massive rebellion against the Creator because the Almighty is doing something. He's gathering His chosen ones from the human race and He's moving history forward to the day when all sin will be forever stripped out of creation and it will be a, a, a totally renewed earth. 
Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of thing the doctrine of God's providence should do for you and me every day. Open your eyes. Let's open our eyes to the, the works of God's hand. See Him active in every little thing around us. See also that Jesus is truly the reason that the world keeps spinning. And then let that warm your heart toward your Father in heaven. Let that cause you to, to lean closer to Him in trust, to spend time praying to Him, to spend time listening to Him in Scripture and watching Him work, keeping up His creation. You see, God isn't just for the certain intervals in our lives. God isn't just around or God isn't just relevant for times of prayer and, and Bible reading or Sunday worship or for when you're really suffering and you really need Him. But your almighty covenant God is around and relevant 24-7. He's near to you and me 24-7. And He wants to fellowship with you and me every waking hour that we've got so that you and I can find our delight in Him. We can find our joy in the Lord. Do you experience that? Do you experience delight in the Lord? Do you want to? One of the biggest challenges to a meaningful, rich, happy, fulfilling relationship with God that we face in our day and age is distraction. Ironically and sadly, the blessings that God provides can be a huge distraction for us and keep us from that enjoyment, that delight. Lord's Day 10 mentions prosperity. And Psalm 112 describes a man who is awash in prosperity, awash in God's covenant blessings. He's a man of faith. He's a man who greatly delights in God's commandments, verse 1. And God is pleased, says the psalm, to shower him with gifts. He has children. He has grandchildren. His children have influence in the nation, verse 2. This man has wealth. He's got riches in his home. Doesn't that sound like many of us? Children, grandchildren, riches. Aren't we a prosperous people? And yet, do we take time to walk closely with our God? Our daily work is a blessing from God, but do we see God's hand in it, in providing our job, in giving us the health that we, we have to do our task? Do we do our daily work for the Lord, or are we doing it for ourselves? If it came down to a choice, if we were forced to choose between work or God, what would it be? Or maybe on the other end, do we find work a drag that we never think of God in connection with our work, much less thank Him for our jobs because our jobs kind of suck? Our money is a blessing, but do we see it as our money 
or as money that God has given us to use in His service? And are we happy to spend the money that God gives in His kingdom for the benefit of His kingdom? Or do our thoughts rarely go toward the Lord's kingdom? And what about our downtime? How much time do you give to watching screens, playing games, compared to reading Scripture, talking with the Lord, or walking in creation? Are we being distracted to death, spiritual death? Or are we at least distracted so much that the God who created us and the God who loves us is just a footnote at the bottom of the page of our life? Brothers and sisters, as we sang in Psalm 49, your life, my life, it's not in our, our money. It's not in riches. It's not in our work. It's not even in our kids. It's not in our entertainment. Life is found in knowing and loving and serving our covenant God. Entertainment can never beat a relationship with the living Creator of heaven and earth. Labor and wealth and children are surely good gifts, but what are they when you compare them to the Spirit of God filling our hearts and, and causing us to grow in our communion with the Lord? As Psalm 111 says in the last verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the fear of the Lord is the starting place for happiness and contentment and delight. This poet thrills in thinking about and communing with his almighty God. And you and I can too. We can thrill in that. All you have to do is take the time to open the Scriptures and listen to him speak from his word. Take the time to look around in creation to see his hand. And take the time to pour out your heart to him in prayer and develop this relationship. The more you learn to take delight in the Lord, in the good days, the more you'll be able to take courage in the Lord in the bad days. For life is not always so good. There is prosperity, and we know what that is, but there's also adversity, as Lord's Day 10 says, or troubled days, and we know what those are too. Lord's Day 10 speaks of drought and barren years. It mentions sickness and poverty. The Psalms also in many places have David or other poets crying out in grief and sorrow, trouble and despair, sometimes because of human enemies, sometimes because of their own sin, sometimes because they're sick, and sometimes they just don't know why. But all the troubles are sent by God through His fatherly hand. Every poet in the Psalms is convinced of that. And we need to be convinced of that too. Bad things do come. Hurtful things tumble into our lives. Not because God was looking away for a second and Satan snuck one by him. And not because bad luck is a thing or karma is a thing or a reality that we have to contend with. We don't believe in jinxes. 
We shouldn't even say to one another, not even in jest, knock on wood. Forget all that. And if we lived on the 13th floor of an apartment building, we should never feel like we're an accident waiting to happen. Because you and I know better from the Word of God. Good luck, bad luck, good fortune, misfortune, they are non-realities. These are things, these are ideas that unbelievers make up to grasp some kind of sense out of this world which for them doesn't make a lot of sense because they don't believe in the Almighty Father and Almighty God who providentially cares for the world. But you and I, we hang on to that gospel truth that the Creator made it and the Creator sustains it and the Creator controls it all. And so we know that the Lord God has ordained all things. Also, this trouble for this time in my life, He's done it for His own good and noble purposes, which He often keeps hidden in His heart. Who knows why? Just like Joseph, God sent Joseph into Egyptian slavery and prison, do you think He knew for most of His life why He was enslaved and in prison? Like he put Job through a long stretch of torment, and Job never found the answer out. And like he sent his only begotten son to go through the fullness of hell on the cross. God did all those things. So I know too that this heavy weight I'm carrying right now in my life, this knapsack full of big rocks on my back, this grief and pain gnawing at my soul, it has been sent by my Father above for some good reason. I know that. I hang on to that because I'm looking for the good that He promises. That's what faith in God's providence gets you. But you have to build up that confidence it doesn't necessarily come easily. All our lives long, we are learning to trust our Almighty God in good days and bad. And the more effort we put in getting close to Him in the good times, the more we'll be able to stay close to Him in the bad times. As you look at all the detailed aspects of God's handiwork in creation, as you ponder His power and majesty and love, as you read in the Bible the many details of God's faithful care of His covenant people, generation after generation, despite Israel's sins, despite many enemies rising up to confront them, not only, when you look at all those things, not only will your love for God grow, but your confidence in Him will grow. The more you understand who your Father in heaven is, what He's capable of, and the kind of character He has, the more you'll feel safe, the more you'll feel secure, and the more you'll be able to find your courage in troubled days. It's like a foot, foot soldier. A foot soldier just starting out in the army recently graduated from boot camp, now placed in a brigade with a captain in charge, and their unit is sent 
into a high-risk area where hostile forces can be expected and can be encountered. When that foot soldier goes into that zone, that active war zone, he's going to feel nervous at first, isn't he? But as he sees the captain calmly and with certainty in his voice, giving orders and organizing the brigade and setting things up, setting all the defenses up smartly and carefully and responsibly, the soldier starts to feel better. And day after day, as the captain sends out small dispatches of soldiers to do certain particular tasks, and they go out and they safely come back, having accomplished their duty, the soldier's confidence grows. And as the soldier observes the captain showing concern for the troops and taking an interest in their safety and in their well-being, making it a priority for his command, he comes to respect, this soldier does, and admire the captain. And eventually, when they come under a heavy attack, he witnesses the captain very bravely and calmly readying the troops and also participating in the battle. As the soldier sees and experiences all these things, he takes courage himself, and he settles down into that fight knowing that this captain will do everything he can to lead his men and protect his men and to work to defeat the enemy. He can get behind a captain like that. He can feel secure under the command of a captain like that. Well, beloved, you and I are in a spiritual war every day, whether we always realize it or not. And when we get one of those hard knocks in life, all of a sudden we, we feel the heat of war upon us, spiritual war, and the devil is on our shoulder urging us to give up believing God exists, just like the devil sent Job's wife to tell him to curse God. The devil wants us to give up on God or our own flesh. Our own flesh wants us to throw in the towel and just run away because it's so, so hard. And unbelievers are tempting us to simply drown our sorrows in a life of excess. It's then in the thick of the fight, especially then, that we have to look to our great captain above, our heavenly Father, and find our bearings again. Our almighty God, He knows what He's doing. And He cares for us more than anyone in the world cares for us. He proved it, didn't He, in sacrificing His only Son. This Father is deeply concerned for our physical and spiritual well-being. He takes a personal interest in your life and mine. And our God fights with us, and He fights for us, making sure that the enemy never destroys our relationship with Him. As Lord's Day 10 says, nothing can separate us from His love. The man of Psalm 112, the man who fears the Lord, as it says there, and delights in His commandments, verse 1, the man who experiences so many of the Lord's blessings, also this man is not immune to adversity. There's a hint of it in verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved 
which means and suggests that something will try and move him, but he won't be moved. It's more overt in verse 7. He's not afraid of bad news. But bad news does come. The psalm ends with a wicked man looking, or the wicked man looking upon the righteous man, and the wicked man becomes angry and gnashes his teeth and fades away because the Lord upholds the righteous man. So there's this picture of, of wicked people, enemies, looking for the demise of the righteous man. There is trouble in this man's life. There are bad days even for those who are well-blessed. What does this man do in the bad days? This man who delights so much in the Lord who spends time thinking about all the works of God and the character of his, of his God and the might of His God, what does He do when threats approach, when hardship descends, when bad news is reported to Him? What does He do? He takes courage, not in Himself, but in His God the same God who created all things and sustains all things in His righteousness, in fulfillment of His promises, this same God will see Him through. So the righteous man finds that even in the days of trouble, he is not afraid. Verse 7, his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. As the enemies advance and as the attack draws near, this man, he looks to his captain, his skilled and trustworthy and loyal and caring and invincible captain, and this, man, this man's heart, it calms right down, and he says to himself, I'm going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right because I know who's in charge of all this. I know who's on my side in this fight. And I know how much he loves me. It's going to be all right. Courage. Confidence. How much is that confidence and courage worth in this life. It's worth everything, isn't it? It's worth everything. And guess what? It's yours. Free of charge, it's yours. Go to your almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Delight in Him. Walk closely with Him, and in no time at all, you'll find your courage in Him too. Amen.